You're listening to Tin Pod Radio. This is Nick Brokenshire from the Once and Future Queen. This is Under the Training Book, episode 16. Uh, now this episode and all this week, you will be getting a different sort of show than the usual slightly controlled insanity. Because I want to highlight the talents of a creator I've been following for years in the form of one Luke Foster. First, you can find Luke on Twitter at CartoonistLuke, on Tumblr at CartoonistLuke, and his Patreon is, yes, you guessed it, CartoonistLuke. I'll put all that in the doobly-doo, so you can go there and visit Luke's stuff. So this episode will contain no bad poetry, there will be no mentions of zombie dildos, nor shall I mention that our current president looks like a prolapsed anus. Sort of. Yeah, he does. Um, this week's episodes of Under the Training Book are solely about Luke Foster's work. So, it's a week of Dr. Bananas. <laughs> How much trouble can you possibly shit-stir talking about a book called Dr. Bananas? Really? How much? But again, day one of Dr. Bananas week has us talking about the series creator. Luke Aaron Foster grew up in the Midwest to just kidding uh luke's a great artist and he's a pretty cool guy uh, and was a guest on tim pod number 11 where i talked to him and he agreed to be a guest on the show and he's really interesting to talk to and really cool guy to talk to uh go check out that interview another link in the doobly-doo i'll include a link all the stuff i mentioned here in future episodes this week to try to Send you his way. Uh, Luke's library of work includes the the gang from the store, True Tales from the comic book shop, Moon Freight, my my favorite thing he's done. Really great. Like if you like like Red Dwarf, you'll fucking love Moon Freight. It's great. And Drawn Away, a cartoonist tours America. Oh, many great projects he's done. Luke's current big projects are Doctor Bananas, thus Doctor Bananas Week, and the dark political comedy strip Supernatural Suburbs. You can find uh, Supernatural Suburbs on Luke's Patreon, which you should become a patron of. A patron of. A patron of. Sounds the same when I say it. Listen, uh, listen. Luke is wearing slick suits these days, walking around like fucking, you know, James Bond or something. He went from Orville Wright to Bond, James Bond, because of all that candy Patreon cash. So let's keep supporting this man. Let's keep supporting him as much as we can. Wait, am, am I a Patreon even? Okay, I'm going to go check on that. So this episode will be a little bit shorter, but the rest of the week will be reviews of Dr. Bananas issue by issue. Uh, come back Tuesday night, uh, Florida time, for my review of issue number one of Dr. Bananas. But right now, I gotta go Google, I am a Patreon, of, am I a Patreon? God, am I a Patreon? This is going to sound really bad if I'm not a Patreon. I, I gotta go, you know, add myself. You won't notice if I just add myself now. I hope, I hope you won't notice. I want a renaissance To shine a light Be the change we want Set things right We've been waiting in the dark For so long Wait, wait, wait. I am a Patreon that looks. So, how about to celebrate that? The fact that I'm not an idiot. Uh... Check out this uh, old interview. I decided just to attach it to this. And you can check out the old interview. And tomorrow, like I said, we'll be back to uh, do reviews of all Dr. Bananas. So, enjoy. Hi, 
I'm uh, Luke Foster. I am a cartoonist and writer. I have mostly done a lot of web stuff. Um, I currently do a comic called Supernatural Suburbs, which is a um, weekly dark comedy on Patreon. That goes up once a week where I just tell jokes about kind of whatever I want to that normally doesn't fit in my normal um, all-ages friendly material. Prior to that, I did a comic called um, The Center of Somewhere, which I did for uh, about three and a half years, which is about humans, animals, and ghosts having fun in small-town America. I uh, did a graphic novel that I serialized on the web called Drawn Away, which is a true story of a four-month trip around the U.S. that I took that I wrote and drew as I traveled. And um, my first comic was called Moon Freight 3. It was a science fiction comedy I did uh, about uh, what it's like to be a 20-something with a crummy job in space. And um, I also, for a short time during, or during then, wrote and drew a um, comic called The Gang from the Store, True Tales from the Comic Book Shop, which is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, I also occasionally do a one-panel thing called Scenes from an Airport Bar, which I go and either overhear or take part in conversations at airport bars and draw a comic about them. And I also am writing and drawing a non-web comic uh, called Dr. Banana's Monkey Magician, which is um, it's going to be a four-issue comic book, and I've written, drawn two, and published them, and I have... Um, I have a um, third coming out um, soon. I'm in the middle of working on it right now. I think the first thing I ever uh, uh, read of yours was Moon Freight 3, which I really loved that, that series. Oh, thanks. Yeah. How did you get the idea for that? Um, I had wanted to do a comic, and um, I uh, I had always wanted to make comics, and so um, I had come up with this idea in like 2005, I think. Um, just to kind of – it was – I was watching a lot of MST3K, so I liked the idea of a, a guy stuck up on a space station. But I decided to make it more mundane, more like what it would actually be to be a 20-something with a crummy job like in a science fiction world where you're not the hero. You're not everything. You know, you're just some guy. I was trying to get some other people to draw it for me because I wasn't good at, um, at drawing at the time. I would be convinced I, had, I was no good at it. Uh, and so I kept trying to get people involved, but they'd get involved for like like a day and then fade out. And eventually, I just said, "Oh heck with this! I want to, you know, I want to make comics." So I just taught myself how to draw, and that was in 2008 when I finally launched MF3. Yeah, I never thought of the uh, mystery science theater connection. I always thought of it as like Red Dwarf in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, definitely, definitely an inspiration, but it was less like. The guys from the dwarf are clearly the least competent guys to be out in space. I wanted to draw somebody who could at least, you know, he could function, but just not, you know, he wasn't just, it wasn't just a hero. Uh, when that came to the end, what made you stop it? Was it a natural ending to the story? A couple of factors. One of them was, yeah, I was getting towards the natural ending. It ended after a little more than four years. I had I figured it would probably run around five. Um, but I, as one does, I came. I was just coming up with a lot of ideas for other projects and just kind of squirreling them away for to take care of whenever. And then I came up with the idea for the center of somewhere one day, and the ideas just kept flowing um, to the point where I realized I had enough to like do a daily comic, not just a three times a week like I had been doing. And so I realized it was time to bring MF3 to a close, and I was actually comfortable doing it when I did. I had the ending planned for the strip almost from the get-go. I think I altered one aspect of it slightly to, to make it at least what I thought would be uh, funny or slash more ironic. And um, But it was pretty much how I intended it to end the whole time. 
Did you always know what you uh, wanted to do after that? Mm-mm. Mm. It was a, I didn't really know for a while. I just figured I would do this for a long I was For a while, I was hoping it would be like my comic that I would do for ages and ages. But as the years went on, I realized it had more of a finite shelf life. And so I figured I would do something. I just didn't know what. And I figured I'd have another year longer than I ended up having to come up with something. It was just like I said, just the idea came to me, and I realized I could end MF3 early, and I'd be cool. It's right after that when you did your trip? No, um, I was doing Center of Somewhere. Um, I started Center of Somewhere in August of 2012 and ended MF3 in November of 2012, so they were overlapping for a bit. Um, that was exhausting. <laughs> um, I went on my trip um, in April to July of 2013. Um, it was actually like that November when my that, that November when I ended MF3. I was uh, at lunch with my parents uh, who had just gone traveling themselves, and um, I was lamenting how I was kind of just in a rut with everything in my life. And I was figuring like I should just go move somewhere for a while and try something new. And my parents said, "Don't move. Do what we didn't go travel." And I'm like, "I think I will." And um, I. Um, I wanted to justify just quitting my job for a while, so I uh, realized, well, how, what can I do to, you know, just to explain why I'm doing this to justify it to myself? I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a cartoonist, I can do a travelogue, so I did, and that's how Drawn Away was formed. Did you find the the trip influenced you in future work? Mm-hmm. Mm. Sorry, I keep taking sips of tea as you ask questions. Um, yeah, it did. I mean, it taught me how to like. I've been pretty rigid in my four panel. Um, ways of drawing for a while there and uh, this helped me expand I was drawing like a full it was like 8.5 by 11 but I was drawing on a full page and just taking whatever space I needed so it got me opening up my storytelling a bit and just the very experience of traveling and seeing most of America which I had not seen before excuse me was just eye-opening in that it was just so many different things and so many different places and such different environments and different areas and I mean, you can't go on a trip like that without being influenced at least a little bit. Yeah, I find myself with almost every trip I go on, I'm like, okay, this could be a story, this could be this. And I, I at least make notes on everything. <laughs> so, like, after you did the, the, the trip, you published that, didn't you, a book of that? Mm-hmm. I um, planned to I – re- I ran it. I serialized it online, and then I intended when I came back, once it was finished serializing, to do a Kickstarter for it. Um, I had tried a Kickstarter before for one of the MF3 books and failed, um, but this taught me a lot of the important – I learned a lot of important lessons from that. Plus, Drawn Away was just a much more interesting thing to a lot of people with a wider draw. Um, so I successfully Kickstarted that book, and it's one of my most successful. I'm, um, I've sold out of a couple of print runs of it um, and picked up little chunks of them here and there just to have – just to keep having it shows because they're always something people are interested in. How did you find doing a Kickstarter? Was it a difficult process? Mm, it was kind of a emotional process, like an emotionally tiring process because you go through well, – first of all, once you have a good idea of how to do one, um, then it's, it's a little easier in terms of you know how much money you need to, to set for it, what you need to raise versus um, you know the taxes, the fees from Kickstarter, etc. But it's just emotionally like – exhausting process like oh my god what if nobody funds it i'm going to be a loser and then oh my god it's so close to funding i'm going to be heartbroken if it doesn't fund oh my god it's funded now i have to actually do this thing or i'm going to let all these people down so 
and I've done that tw- twice more since then, and it doesn't get any easier. Uh, what led you to deciding to do the Kickstarter? Did you think you built an audience before to do it, or was you just like, I'm going to do this and see? Um, I had knew I had, I figured I had built a decent enough audience for something like this. Plus, I was tired of paying for these things out of pocket. They're very expensive. Yeah, I've published uh, when I was in college a few books, and like it can be a big uh, toll on the wallet there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, your book, uh, Doctor Ban- Bananas, and I'm jumping around here a bit. Uh, I mm-hmm. I like the artwork in that. I think it looks really good. Um, what was your idea behind that? Um, I was doing some animation pitches last year, and I was coming towards the end of this animation pitch process, right? Hadn't <clears throat> hadn't yet sold a successful one, but um, I was one night I was reading The Monkey's Paw, and I was thinking about all I was told about like you know putting twists into things and making them different sort of stories, and like what if I told The Monkey's Paw from the monkey's point of view? So um, uh, I created a um, a, uh, a five minute animation pilot called Doctor Bonzo, and it was basically what you most of what you see in the first issue of Doctor Bananas. They liked it, but it wasn't exactly what they were looking for, so they um, passed on it. But I liked the idea. I thought there might be something to it. So I, re- I readapted it as a um, 20-page comic, um, <clears throat> renamed Dr. Bonzo to Dr. Bananas because there is a real-life Dr. Bonzo in Atlanta, Georgia. I found that out after um, Googling, Googling the name, which I'm glad I did. Um, and... Um, I said, let's just see how this does. It was like a, something I could print for pretty cheap because it was only a twenty-dollar comic, a twenty-page comic versus like a hundred and something-page graphic novel. Um, I printed up a really short run to have it Heroes Con, and it sold. It sold out, um, and people really liked it. And they told me I should do more of them. And I came up with another three ideas that I'm going to do. So that one of them I've done, and one of them is halfway done. So it'll be four issues total is the plan. One of the things I've uh, uh, I've seen with you is like you seem to to be in with how can I say it uh, you're using all the tools at, like Kickstarter and you have a, a, a Patreon and you had a web comic and such things and you seem to be uh, fairly well like I look at it and say like oh Luke does this really well I'm I'm gonna learn from it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh thank you. <laughs> but um, do you find like it hard because I know a lot of people go to me and say yeah like, you should do this you should do that it's hard to choose do you find it hard to choose which things you want to get into and use um no I just like to like study how um these things work before I leap into it like I I was th- I was wanting to do a Patreon for like a year or two before I launched mine I didn't really think I had anything to to make with it a and b I wasn't sure if I would be able to get enough backers to make it worthwhile. Um, but then when I finished Center of Somewhere and I was lit- literally without a project for a little bit, um, it was just kind of an idea came to me um, um, uh, based on like a, a, a um, bonus Center of Somewhere that it didn't run uh, because it was way too dark for that comic. And I'm like, okay, maybe I could do more of these. And I realized that that could be something good for a Patreon because it was something I could regularly produce and it's something I could put behind, putting it behind a paywall. I was comfortable doing because my all ages readers wouldn't be able to accidentally read it. Um, the Kickstarter, like I said, I failed the first time, but um, I learned a ton from that. I have run, I learned a lot from running an unsuccessful Kickstarter that helped me run a good one. Um, 
and uh, just doing web comics just what when I got into comics what everyone was doing. Do you think? So. Do you find it better to have like a different project for the different things like the Patreon's a different thing, and when you did a, a print single issue comic, you got a different project. Mm-hmm. You want to have if you're trying to do this as like to make any sort of money off it, you want to have a few different revenue streams. Like a Patreon is a fairly reliable monthly one. Um, not, not everyone's going to stay with it. You may get more, you may lose some, but it's it's some it's it's somewhat stable, um, and it reaches a different audience than a comic book would because some people just don't want to pay for stuff online. Some people just don't like reading digital stuff. Some people don't like reading print stuff, um, and it's just a different way of like like I can produce you know 420 page issues of Doctor Bananas over the course of a year or whatever, whereas I might not be able to keep up that pace if I was putting it on Patreon all that time. Do you like having different projects to work on, or do you like focusing on one particular thing? Um, I like having different things to focus on, um, but at the same time, having the regular deadline of something like a, a weekly Patreon keeps me focused on projects. It keeps me saying, okay, I have to turn out something by X time because that's what I told people I would do. Um, and like having the comic books is like okay, I have to have it by this convention, so get it done by then. So, well, uh, recently, a few months ago, I did the first convention I ever did mm-hmm. uh, with some other people sharing a table at an uh, ALA convention, American Library Association, mm-hmm. uh, when it was down here in Orlando. I found it like even though I'd been to conventions, I found being on the other side a wholly different experience. Did you find that to be the case? Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of like it um, being on the table side of things. Um, it's ju- I, I just a different experience, and I really enjoy I really enjoy that opportunity to be a creator, to try to push new comics out onto people, to you know share joy with a lot of sh- you know because a lot more people are going to come up to talk to you than you would if you were on the other side. Like you're not going to just talk to people walking around normally, whereas with your behind the table you can, and that's great because um, you know you meet a ton of new people. Uh, you talked about having like uh, uh, mainly all, all audience books, mm-hmm. uh, and then having some more adult materials. Uh, mm-hmm. The one thing I, I've seen about most of your stuff, even like the uh, the all audience book, it's not like it seems like it's geared just towards kids. It is literally an all audience book. Well, that, yeah, thanks. That's what I try to go for. Um, I don't like to. I don't like kid. When I was a kid, I hated being talked down to. Or like people think I didn't know anything as I was a kid. So I get that, but at the same time, I don't want adults thinking they wouldn't enjoy something because it's kiddie. Um, and I'm just basically kind of just drawing what I would like to read. Um, some of the stuff is a little more consciously innocent than some of my other stuff. Uh, and Supernatural Suburbs is definitely the first thing I've done that is consciously not geared towards kids. It's definitely got a more Rick and Morty vibe than anything else. Uh, do you find like uh, you've seen that your uh, work has changed tremendously, let's say, in the past ten years, five years? Oh, yeah, definitely. My characters are less stiff. I know how to draw movement better and proportions. and Yeah, just my, my art is a whole lot better, and I'm, I'm better at pacing my writing and my stories too. Do you find um, it difficult going back and looking at that stuff? Yes and no. Um, some of it is kind of cringeworthy, but um, Matt Wagner, the guy who um, drew Grendel, said that he can't be embarrassed of his old stuff because it's like being embarrassed that once you were six years old. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm finding it right now because I'm um, slowly adapting my older writing into audio right now. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was thinking whether I should change a lot when mm-hmm. I'm redoing it. But there's a part of me that doesn't want to change it because that's what I learned from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that when you did reprints? It? Have you wanted to change stuff but not changed it or, or changed it? Um, when I did the first Moon Freight 3 book, um, I had to re-letter a bunch of things because I had to hand-letter them and they were just illegible. Um, I've gone occasionally and tweaked things. I rarely tweak um, the writing, um, though I have at least one case I can think of when I realized I kind of messed up writing a joke and it made no sense. So I wrote – I rewrote it. Just add, I added a line so that I had on the paper what I had in my head when I originally wrote it. Um so yeah, I don't change much, but occasionally I will. Uh, uh, one thing I recently, like a month ago, I seen where you you're working on your own podcast now with others, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I've podcasted off and on for so long now since before I was cartooning even. Um, but uh, now I just do like um, I do a monthly show about Magnum PI because you know we're topical and timely. Um, <laughs> I uh, do a bi-weekly podcast with a couple of buddies called The Trip, which is about um, just talking about nostalgia and stuff, which is really just us recording like five episodes at once and then just releasing them every other week. Um, although the last back we recorded, uh, the file got messed up, so we currently have none. So I'll have to wait till after Christmas. Yeah. A friend of mine uh, recently told me when I lost the podcast, she's like, get used to it. You'll do it several times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was you always a Magnum fan? Um, my parents watched it when I was a kid, and so I, you know, I knew I always knew it was there, and I watched it like occasionally through like college and stuff. Then when they put it on Netflix, I'm like, I'm just gonna finally watch this whole thing from end to end, and I did, and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do people tell you, uh, ask you if you get wearing the shirts from that? All the time. <laughs> and what's the answer? <laughs> Um, no, although I, for a time up until recently, I had one that Magnum wore regularly on the show, the, uh, the, the red one with the, with the palm trees. Yeah. I seen one of them down here in Florida where I lived one time in a store and I was like, oh, I got to buy that. But I went to buy it and it said Magnum shirt and it was like $180 for it mm. based on that. And I was like, it's like the other ones you got for 10. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you said you been, uh, did podcasting. Uh, what do you like about it? I like just kind of the relaxing, just kind of talk with the pal about topics we like for however long. And um, I don't really do a good job editing and stuff, so I'll just kind of slap them together and throw them out. And I like the low-quality gorilla nature of it. Yeah. Is it Does it offer you something different than, than the art does or writing does? Yeah, mostly just the social interaction piece of it. Uh, is there any other um, medium that you'd like to get into? Television. Television? I'd like to be able to do um, – like I said, I was doing some animation pitches. I'd love to be able to do um, – you know, to, to, to develop a TV show or maybe like write for TV. Um, the, like, you know, I'd love to write comedy. I used to do that, and uh, it, would, it seems like it would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, TV would probably be my thing. I've seen where you uh, you did stand up, right? I did, yeah, for a couple of years before I did um, cartoon. As I was getting into cartooning, I was kind of getting out of stand up. 
Is that a, a does that exercise different muscles than like artwork does? Yeah, very much. When you're you gotta be more relaxed and free flowing and ready to flip on a moment's notice when you're doing stand up. Whereas when you're writing a comic, you have like all the time in the world up until literally you're le- putting the letters on the page to to fine tune and craft it. I found like uh, uh, being on a stage, sort of like stand up when I did plays or something, mm-hmm. the most nerve wracking thing of anything I've ever done. Did you do you find it or, or different for you? It was. I thought it would be nerve wracking when I got up when I first did it, but the first time I did it in front of like a large audience or like in a large room, the lighting in the on um, the lighting was such that I could only see the front row. Like it was pitch black behind it, so I kind of broke the ice there. Do you like the improvisation part of it, or did well, you, did you I, write most of your stuff ahead? I wrote most of it all, and that was like the problem because I wasn't comfortable coming up with stuff on the fly. I mean, I've done improv since, just kind of fun with friends. Um, there was a local improv group in Hartford, Connecticut, that would allow me to play with them sometimes. Um, and uh, um, so when I was there on Thanksgiving, I did. It, I went up again, but I haven't done it really since I moved to North Carolina. I've had people ask me because I've did like a bunch of different things, good projects, bad projects, crap, all right. <laughs> but mm-hmm. they've asked me to, uh, if that influenced me as a writer, and I th- I do think all that stuff and trying new things uh, does add to it. Do you feel that way? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really. I don't know. <laughs> it's a crap answer. It's all right. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll go into the uh, five questions if you want to right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll start like these are basically the five questions or statements that you sort of shouldn't ask a writer or an artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll start with the easy one that everybody gets is where do you get your ideas? Um, I steal them from an old gypsy woman. <laughs> no. Um. Uh, I just kind of get them from everywhere. Like I said, I read a lot, and that's where a lot of the ideas for Dr. Bananas have come from. Uh, Supernatural Suburbs comes from all over the world. Um, you know, the politics of the day, me just kind of thinking of dark jokes, uh, me riffing with a buddy at work. Um, you know, he'll say something I'm like, well, I'm stealing that for the comic. So a little bit everywhere. Or sometimes, I, then there are times I just consciously sit down and like, okay, X character is in Y situation. How do I fix this? Yeah, you're, I, I've always liked about your work in like Moon Freight Three, especially it was like the characters were really alive. I thought like it, it oh, wasn't thanks. just it wasn't just a joke or yeah. just a moment. Like well, they were captured moments, but like they, you really got the sense of these characters as people. So oh, thank you. That's what I was really going for there. Yeah. So I'm glad I accomplished that. Yeah. Okay, uh, the next question is uh, not really a question, but when people say, oh, you draw, mm-hmm. do you ever get that? No, what I, I convention I get a lot of, did you write and draw these, or are these your creations? <laughs> um, so people are just kind of happy to meet someone who creates, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've had a lot of artist friends say that, and it's like the different tone depends on what your reaction is going to be of how mm-hmm. they say it and stuff. Have uh, you ever had anybody refer to your art as your hobby? Yeah, but honestly, it's kind of actually I get a lot more people saying, "Is this your full-time job?" Which is both nice and dispiriting at the same time. <laughs> it's like I want it to be. Well, it seems like you're always doing stuff and really busy. So, like, yeah, yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting closer and I'm happy with how things are going. But it would be nice to be able to do it full time. Oh yeah. 
the other one that a lot of artists get these days with people who are like, we can't pay, but the exposure is grand. Have you ever got that comment about anything? No, but um, – well, I have in the past, but these days I just – when they ask me um, if I'm if I'm available to do stuff, I say, I say yes. Um, and I make sure – I ask pretty quickly what their, what their budget is. Yeah, I, I had a friend with a good bit of advice. He always said, don't be afraid just to tell somebody no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody, like, just say no. It's like the same thing with uh, a friend said, when I first got into podcasting, I didn't want to ask people to be on. And she was like, well, they're just going to say no. It's not going to be a big deal if they don't want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 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 one that kind of fits in today's day and age with the internet and stuff is when it comes up when people say, you should be happy someone stole your art. It means it's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. That's – no, don't do that. Have you ever had that happen within your stuff, like pirated stuff? No, not that I know of. Yeah, I thought nobody would ever pirate any of mine until I got a letter actually from a lawyer once about it. Hmm. And it was like, this person made this much money, and I got a note. It said, they made like $800 off your work. And I'm like, I've never made $800 off that book. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that kind of made that's, me mad. That's almost unkind. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'll probably end this pretty short though. Uh, I thank you for uh, for doing this though. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and I know I've talked to you online before. You talked to me about advertising one time when I was like, "Does advertising work?" And you was like, "It can and it can't." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the long and the short of it. I've made so much more off of the like seven months I've done Patreon than I ever did in like five years of advertising. No, eight years of advertising. Yeah, I I tried to do more this year. Uh, I don't. I mean, my numbers have went up on stuff across the board a little bit, but I wonder if it's actually because of just better work, or is it advertising that's did it? <laughs> mm, probably a little of both. Yeah, hopefully it is. But uh, thank you for joining me and doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, do you want to promote anything before we go? Um, yeah, um, if you want to check out Supernatural Suburbs, it is on Patreon at patreon.com slash cartoonistluke. You can follow me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at, at cartoonistluke. Um, you'll find scenes from the airport bar and commissions and stuff like that uh, on all of those. Plus, Twitter's got all my um, awesome musings and witticisms and <laughs> Politi- mostly politics these days because um, it's kind of necessary. But um, and you can, um, if you want to ever read my old, um, if you ever want to read Center of Somewhere, it's at centerofsomewhere.com. Um, the whole archive is still up there, um, and you can buy all my books. Everything is collected except for Supernatural Suburbs. Um, you can find those at indieplanet.com. Just go there and go- and search for my name. You should everything should come up. And I'll put all those in the description so people can find them there too. Cool, thanks. Well, well, thanks for joining me, Luke. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. You have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye. On awakening in my heart, hear the angels sing and shine a spark. We've been sleeping in the dark so long.
Oh, so.